All right, session six. Now, this is ten sessions, uh, this series, a little longer than most. Series is called Power Broker. It is about power, but it's not power as we think of it. In fact, we'll talk about it today a couple times. Not power as we think of it in a natural sense. Here's what I mean. Naturally, here's how I think about power. Get it, keep it, put people around you, use them, abuse them. When you're done with them, throw them away. That's how we think naturally. Supernaturally, what God has done is he is the source of all power. He transmits this power to us at different places that we find ourselves in four institutions, government, family, church, and work. He transmits power to us for us to use and to pass on. And that's the whole process here. The idea of passing on is really important. And I can't apply this because there's so many different venues for this. I can't apply it in all the venues. You're going to have to figure it out. Clearly, it's applicable at work and at church and in the family. Uh, I'm not big on government and power and much, but we'll look at government's role anyway as we look at those, by the way, the next four weeks. Next four weeks, we look at those four institutions. Today is kind of the summary of the first six. When I say summary, it's, it's the capstone. We did an introduction. We're going to talk today about release and, and how important it is. We've talked about four other topics, and at the risk of, of me feeling inadequate and you feeling stupid, let's go ahead and see if we can name the four topics. Ooh, I feel the nerves already. Uh -huh. What are the four things we've looked at? Anybody? Uh, encouragement. Very good. We got one. Ownership. We are at two. Work. We're at three. We got uh, people or clo very close. We actually used a different word. What do we use? Proficiency. Take them and put them in order. And this is brilliant. And I'll tell you, it's so brilliant. I didn't realize it until yesterday. Proficiency, ownership, worker, encouragement, and release. Power. Release is kind of is the summary of all that. I, I obviously I need to have these in place, but I can do these first four things really well. If I don't pull off the release part, it's a waste. So let me talk about it. Proficiency, right person, right place, right job. You're made to do it. You're operating in the zone. You're, what you can do, what you want to do, what you're paid to do or charged to do, those are the things that you get to do. You take a look, and this, comes, this becomes really important. I found it, frankly, easier to do, I think, as you get older. I think you don't care as much about a lot of things. And as you get older, it's easier to do this. When you're younger, it's difficult. If you have 10 tasks to do, and you do three of them really well, you don't need to take a bunch of seminars on the other seven. Okay? You don't need to spend the rest of your life getting better at something you'll never be good at. You focus on those three things you do well. You may have to do those other things. You want to have to have a certain level of proficiency in them, but the best you can, you're delegating them out. You're letting somebody who's gifted in that area do it. Okay? Proficiency. Ownership. You're a steward. So when Rush Limbaugh says, with talent on loan from God, he's exactly right. That's all of us. Everything we have is on loan from God in the sense that he transfers possession to us, but not ownership. So your time, your energy, your effort, your money, your assets, all of them, your relationships, your kids, your grandkids, your car, your house, all of that, the possession is yours. You might even say, and we certainly understand it in the dialogue, that it's my house or my car, but in reality, God retains ownership on everything. Work, having a meaningful assignment. 
And by that, we don't mean we're all working on the cure for cancer necessarily. What we mean is we understand why we're doing what we're doing. We understand where we fit. We understand, we understand the team process. We've been, we've been taught in this. It was interesting because I, 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 I keep playing my, the, the, the uh, time we had with Coach Wooden a while ago. And, and he said, the mo- in fact, he said it. And I said, that's the second time you've said that. Do you know what you're saying there? And, and he talked about the championship game in 73. Here's what he said. He said, that's the last game I taught. I said, do you realize you didn't use the word coach? He said, really? And, and I happened to have Keith. I was with Keith Erickson. And Keith said, coach, you said that twice. You did. You said taught. And they're just interchangeable with him. That's you. You're that, you're that teacher, that person who says, here's why you go to that spot. Here's that pass and why that pass has to be there. Here's why the timing has to be right. Here's why your job's important, because shipping is over here, and they're ready, and manufacturing's here, and your key in the middle. It may not look like much to you, but your key in this whole process of what you do. Work. Encouragement. Just, just the power to lift somebody up with some words. The, the power of the tongue. The power for construction or destruction. And, and, and it's something that you can use, and you can use it today, and yet I had a guy yesterday say, I've been working all week on encouragement. I can't believe how hard it is, especially at home. For whatever reason, we're better encouragers to a server in a restaurant than we are to the people in our own house. Don't know why? We are. Here's the last thing, and that's today. Release. So now you got everybody all fired up. you got the right person in the right place. They understand their role. They understand that, that they're there. They don't own it. They're stewards of it. They're encouraged. They're fired. They're ready to go, 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 go. Now here's what you got to do. Let them go. you got to let them go. Release them. What's the power of release? Here it is. People are empowered when they are free to realize their own destiny. Now, that has some grandiose terms to it, own destiny. It could even, especially those of you, and, and, and I am one of those. I'm a Bible guy, okay? So a lesson like today, the bio, the, our, our, our principles clearly flow from Scripture, but we're going to have very little time in the Scripture, a lot of time in tying this stuff together. And when I read something like people are empowered when they are free to realize their own destiny, it sounds like kind of grandiose New Age stuff. I don't think so at all. God has made you unique and different from everybody else on the planet. Remember we talked about it last week. He's given you a background. Some of you have very sinful backgrounds. Right? Whatever. Some of you have great, great home, great family, great, 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 no, no problems to speak of in that area. Backgrounds. Some of you have experienced extraordinary tragedies in your life. Others of you, not really. Some of you have had death all around you. Maybe it's been a brother or a parent or a spouse. Uh, my, my parents are still alive. My brothers are still alive. You know, my, my, my grandparents are, are all dead now, but, but, you know, I haven't had a lot of that loss. You've got a unique background, and then God's, and this is really cool, God's sovereign. And we all go, amen, God's sovereign. Yes, 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 as he is. Yeah, he's God. And by the way, that's what makes him God, right? If he can't, he, he either causes or allows everything in your life. If he doesn't, he isn't God. So he's sovereign, but here's what I want you to see. He's sovereign in a lot of stuff. He's not just sovereign in your salvation. He's sovereign in where you work. 
in your neighborhood, in the people he's brought around you. And he's given you a mission. Now, our missions are pretty common. It's to encourage believers and to share the gospel with lost people and glorify God in all we do. That's your mission. Don't care who you are. So think about that. God has uniquely created you. He sovereignly placed you where you are. He's sovereignly and uniquely given you this background, and he's called you to this mission. That's an, ex that's an extraordinary truth. When you realize that, that you understand that you're there for that, and now, not just you, but the people around you, your mission is to help them realize that destiny. I a lot of time I'm talking about kids today and, and family, but that's what it's trying to do with my kids. My kids, I'm trying to find out who they are, how they're ticked, how they're wired. I see so many kids who are running off to law school or to be an architect or to be an engineer because that's what the dad did or the dad wanted them to do. Or the mom, you need a job, you need something reliable. They'll, hey, they're always going to need cab drivers. You know, I mean, they're always going to need something. Go into that field, figure out what it is, and then let that kid be this. You don't need to waste a billion dollars sending a kid away to go to, to, go to Harvard or Yale or Brown or, or Westmont uh, just to send a kid away to go to school and come back and run a shirt shop. If he wants to run a shirt shop, maybe he, maybe he can own a shirt shop. Maybe he'll have a whole, whole uh, franchise of shirt shop. I don't know. Rather than get your ego in the way, let the kid be the kid. Here's the second thing. Here's a record of history. What do you call a person who denies freedom? It's a dictator. What do you call a person who enables freedom? That's a liberator. So if I look at history, I will see, here you go, a dictator like Hitler and a liberator come along like Eisenhower or Churchill. I would see a dictator and say, you can name them. There, there's been these really heinous guys over, over history. And then the liberators, at least here in our country, we name streets after those guys, right? Washington, Lincoln, Fillmore, Polk. I never understood how they got in there, but I added Fillmore and Polk anyway. Okay? <laughs> but, but you see that? Well, here's the deal. When we think history, we're thinking in those grandiose terms. Here's what I'm saying. You have the same thing that's true in your life. You have people around you, maybe a manager in business, who just drives you, drives you, drives you. His whole desire is to just work you, work you, work you. You know, he's a dictator. Or a parent. Or a pastor. Or a government official. One of the greatest compliments I've ever had in my entire life. And it started on a very ordinary day. I'm sitting at my desk at church, and in came one of my staff guys, and he said, I want to give you this. And it was a, a framed picture of Abraham Lincoln. And, and uh, to be honest, it wasn't a very good picture. And I have pictures of Lincoln. It was a framed, not very good picture of Abraham Lincoln, which I, was found, I found it hard to be excited about it, really. And then I read, he said, read what I wrote on the back. And I turned it over, and he said, Tom, in my ministry life, you have been my great emancipator. It's the best thing I've ever, one of the best gifts I've ever received. I said, oh, this is incredible. 
I said, tell me about it. He said, Tom, I'm a ministry. I got this box. Here's how you do it. Everybody does the same. Everything's repressive. It's this way or no way. And you've just given me the freedom within boundaries to do what I want to do. And then even when I want to redirect the boundaries, you'll allow me to come in and talk about it. Even if you say no, at least there's a... You have been my great emancipator. It ain't going to get any better than that. And the same thing when you start to see that and hear it from your kids. I, I remember, we never... I would never say raise your kids like I did. Never say it, okay? But, but, but we ended up with really good kids and did a good job. So you might get some lessons, but I'm not saying do it. But we never had our kids get jobs. So I know some of you want to teach your kids work ethic, so that's okay, and that's fine. I wouldn't say you're wrong, and I wouldn't expect you to say I'm wrong. But we just never had them get jobs. And I, I was always talking to people, why do you have your kid working in a restaurant? Well, he needs to learn to work. Well, he's learning how to do crack in the back is what he's learning, okay? He ain't learning how to work, you know? Well, well, but then I'd say, well, push it a little harder. Well, we want to teach them responsibility. And I always felt our girls were responsible. They weren't making any money. And, and, and so we came along, and that's how we worked with them. That's how we raised them. But there came a time when it was time for Haley to get a job. I wanted to make sure she's in the right area, and so she's working at the hospital. She came home the first day. Right person, right place. She's made for this. She said, Dad, I am so excited. She was in nursing school at the time. I am so excited. I am so glad I'm going to be a nurse. I had an opportunity today to talk to two or three people about Christ, to minister to them, to love them, to be. I don't want to be a doctor. Those guys are in and out. I want to be there with the people. It was incredible. Right person, right place, all, all that stuff. I said, wow. She said, and I want to tell you something else. Now, she's a nurse's aide. She just started. She said, uh, I made $56 today. I said, that's pretty incredible. I said, no, you know, they'll take taxes out. She said, oh, well, I made $54. I said, here's the deal. You, you, have, not yet mess, you have not yet met Mr. FICA, because he's going to come along and get his share. But, but you saw that, and it was a great moment. I'm going, there it is, man. Fly. You're done. Ready to go. So when I'm talking about dictator and liberator, it's not just in historical terms, it's in relational terms, in your family, in your, in your, in your church. Here you go. Two competing philosophies, a wrong use of power and a right use of power. Here's the wrong use of power. You exist to serve me until I'm ready to leave. So here you go. You're in my sphere of influence here. You're here to serve me until I'm ready to go. The right use of power is I exist to serve you until you're ready to leave. Jesus is obviously the role model here. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. That's why you're there. If you're a manager, if you're a parent, if you're an authority, if you're a pastor, if you're a leader, if you're what, any sort of leadership position, you're there to serve people. You're there to serve people and prepare them to be able to do whatever God's called them to do, whether it's within that organization or maybe outside of that organization. Now, here's where we need to stop and take a couple of minutes. You'll never use power that way unless you're acting supernaturally. Because naturally, you're going to want to use it the wrong way. Get power, have people serve you. The supernatural way of life is available only to those of us who are followers of Christ. That means a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? I'm not sure we've talked about it in here in a while. It doesn't mean a behavior. I hear that all the time. Bob's a great Christian. Really, tell me about it. Good father, 
good husband, a good guy, good friend. Well, what's that? I got Buddhists that are good husbands, good father, good guys, good friends. That's not what makes you a Christian. Being a good guy, doing good works, feeding the hungry, blah, 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 all those things. That's not what makes you a Christian. You're a Christian based on what you believe. It's a belief, not an ethic. I'm going in to get a new set of tires. And I say to the boy, here's the deal. I want four tires. I want those tires right there. Well, we have a special. I said, good for you. I want these four tires. I don't need to buy insurance. I'm going to pay cash for them. I want those four tires. Now, here's the deal. You got the business. Can you get them on in 30 minutes? Yes, sir. I said, listen, don't lie to me, little fella, because here's the deal. Right? I'll pay you now. I'll pay you in advance for these. I want you to know you have the business, but I got to be out of here in 30 minutes. Okay? We can do it, Mr. Schroeder. See, whenever they don't know your name, I always get a little nervous, too. I said, all right, I'm going over to the coffee shop. So I walk over to the coffee shop, and it's one of those great, for me, it may mean nothing, but it's just, it's perfect for me. You walk in, and the thing's got all the tables, and there's only one table occupied. It's like 1040 in the morning. And at the table is a guy and a gal at 1040 in the morning. So... The possibilities are endless. I mean, they could be having an affair. They're anything but a couple. You know this. They could be having an affair. They got problems, whatever. So I have to decide, do I want to go over there and read and be by myself, or do I want to go over by them and eavesdrop and listen? So I said, do you mind if I sit by you? I sat down just as I come up, and I leave a table between us, because I can't stand it when I'm in there and somebody sits next to me, so I, I, I want to be somewhat sensitive. Just, just as I get there, the girl said, that's why I broke up with my last boyfriend. I thought, oh, I missed the punchline. I got to know what this is. I got to know why you broke up with him, because you know what's going on, okay? Now, at that point, you got all the pieces together. He's going to say, oh, that dirty dog. I don't know why he treated you like that. Come with me over to this hotel and everything will be okay. okay? So you know what's going on. You don't have to figure this. I don't need to be Dr. Phil to unpack this. That's why I broke up with my last boyfriend. And I'm thinking, oh, I need to know what that is. I, and I wanted to say, hey, I missed that part. Could you film me? But I didn't. But I didn't need to because the guy then said, the guy then said, well, I believe in God too. I said, okay, now I'm back, I'm back, I'm in the conversation. And she said, well, I do a little more than believe in God. And I'm thinking, all right, buddy, got to go now. You got to understand, you're going to have to go. He said, me too. Okay? She said, well, I'm a Christian. And he said, yeah, me, yes. What, what do you mean by that? Because okay? so, he doesn't want to give the wrong answer, because this is a key thing. Because remember, he's still got the hotel room he's got to get to. Okay? And, uh, and he don't want to screw it up over something like this. And she said, well, I'm a Christian. Now, now listen, and this is really important. She said, I'm a Christian, but not one of those fundamentalist kind. I believe that there are a lot of ways to God. I've chosen the Christian route, though there are other ways. Which means, frankly, she isn't a Christian at all. Now, here's what we got to get at. Christianity is a set of doctrinal beliefs, not behavior. Now, let me finish the sentence. But because those beliefs are in place... The behavior follows. I'm not separating the behavior. That's what the whole book of James is about. 
James is chastising people, say, I believe, I believe, I believe. James comes along and says, well, even the demons believe, meaning they have intellectual mental ascent, but there's no life change that takes place. If you're a follower of Christ, your life has to change. It must change. If it hasn't changed, you have no biblical assurance of your salvation. You've walked in. Somebody was on us a, a Sunday. I do a thing once a month where I meet with new people in the church, and, and they get an hour to ask any question they want. And, I, and a lot of times I'll stay longer because I love it. Like Sunday they had, who are your role models? I said, Shania Twain. I love Shania Twain. Who else? You know, and they're kind of going, whoa. Because they, they were looking for like a Chuck Swindoll answer. I said, no, Shania Twain is my role model. And then you got to, some of them are wound a little tight at that point. You go, I'm just kidding, okay? I'm just, it's, it's fun. We're having fun. One of the questions was, why don't you do altar calls? And I said, because we don't do altar calls. Now, that may not be an overpowering argument for you, but we don't do it, which I would expect him to ask, can I ask of why? And, and the thing is, an altar call is one way to generate a response. Here's what we want to say to people. You need to respond to what you just heard. But an altar call has the potential of getting in the way. Obviously, uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of people who walked an aisle alone will be in hell. I mean, even the Graham organization would say that. They would say, and I don't know what stats are now, but they'd say if, if 4,000 people walked an aisle, about 400 would truly be converted. So here's what we would say. We'd say it's a transaction between you and God. Don't need a priest, okay? We're done with that. Don't need an intermediary, don't need to walk an aisle, don't need to check a box. You need to do business with God. What does that mean? That means I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that Jesus Christ lived and died. And when he died, he died for the sin of those who would believe in him. And if I believe in him, trust in him, I, I, I'm trusting him and him alone for my salvation. If God would just say to me, and it won't happen this way, why should I let you into heaven? It's very simple. You shouldn't. Except that Christ died, and I'm coming in as part of Christ's team family, body, the church. That's a Christian. Well, once I'm a Christian, all of a sudden, now I see things different. So when I start talking about power and using it differently, I can begin to do this. Because I wouldn't do it otherwise, right? If you're not a follower of Christ, I don't know why you take power and give it away. Other than even then your business will work better. Even then things work better. There you go. Two definitions of success. If you have outlines, you're following along, it's D. Two different definitions of success. If you are freed from me and you exceed, I'm a failure. In other words, I just want to keep building, building, building this team. If I let you go and you somehow exceed me, I'm a failure. Therefore, I'm not going to release you. Here's the other one, the right one. If you are freed from me and you exceed me, I succeed. I'm a success. A great teacher is known for the number of students that surpass him. Who are the people that influence you? That's what I learned, learned from watching Larry and listening to Larry, is, is I would hear him talk about people, and I'd want to go back and say, well, who influenced you? I'm one of those weird guys, when I read a book, I actually like read footnotes and stuff. And, 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 I'll, and I'll all of a sudden see, he's quoted this same book three times. Maybe I ought to read that book. Maybe that book's a better source than this book. You want all these people. I, I, again, I, 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 I Coach Wooden in my mind a little bit, but he was talking about one of the first jobs he had was at South Bend High School. And a couple years, he went, uh, years ago, he went back. This is pretty cool. 
And he, I think he coached basketball, baseball, and tennis, I think, there. And they had 24 of the kids who played for him were there. The youngest was 80. The oldest was 88. I just think that's the funniest, coolest thing. And to hear them talk, and even to Coach Woodens, the players that played for him, you say, to hear him talk not so much about how he taught me how to cut or shoot a jump shot, or but how he taught me to live life. That, that, there you go, that kind of stuff. Is this success or failure? You're going to have to fill in the blank. My, and then pick it, my kid. Let's use that. My kids don't need me anymore. They get along fine today without me. See, here's what I'm saying to you. You're really successful at that point. The parenting thing can be hard. I'm watching Haley go through it and, and, and with Braden, and, and she's really just bonded with this kid. I mean, this kid is, you know, I told Tyler the other day, and, it'd be, and obviously, hopefully this isn't prophetic, but I said, if something happened to this kid, it would be a real tough deal for Haley. I mean, she's really, she's really into this kid. You know how I understand that? I was really into my kids. Here's what I used to do with them. Susan and I would take them to Disneyland every year. But we were the kind that didn't want to go in the summer and didn't want to go when school was out. We'd take them out of school. I always saw school as that thing you had to get through to go get a job. So I didn't, it was never anything to be really given a lot of attention to. So I'd say, we're going out of school, we're going to Disneyland. We'd go every year. And I like, and you can all, all obviously argue with this, but I would always fly America West. I like America West. I've never had any problems with America West. I know people have. If you have, don't call me. Call America West. <laughs> the, kids, the kids pick the airline when we go to Disneyland, and they always want to fly Southwest. Why? Why do they want to fly Southwest, other than on time and all that? The seats. The seats are backwards. They love to sit in those seats where the seats are backwards. So it's like a rocket ship. So we're getting ready to land in Ontario. Haley comes over to me and she said, Dad, this is my favorite day of the whole year. This is my favorite day. It's better than Christmas. It's better than my birthday. This is my favorite day of the whole year. And today, because Haley's a little bit of a wimp on rides, she does, and today... I'm going down Splash Mountain. I said, all right, hey, it's going to be a great day. So we get in. I said, should we go to Splash Mountain? Not yet. Not yet. I'm not ready yet. So we're kind of working our way. It's, it's the whole elephant in the room. Everywhere we looked was Splash Mountain, but we'd look away real quickly. And she said, I'm ready for Splash Mountain. I said, all right. We go over to Splash Mountain, and we're getting out. And I could just feel her. I mean, she's got a grip. She's just holding my hand. So we get in the thing, and you hear zippity doo down. We're going around. And there's that one of you, many of you have been in it. There's that one little thing that kind of dips. And she goes, was that it? And I said, no, nope, there's a little more than that. Now we're coming around, and you can see through the tunnel. You can see the daylight. And you hear in the distance, ah, ah. And I'm thinking, uh-oh. And, and so we're sitting in that log, right? And I said, put your, she said, Dad, hold me tight, Dad. Don't let me go, Dad. Hold me tight, Daddy. Ah, let's do it again, that kind of a thing. <laughs> when I did her wedding, and there's that awkward time when communion's over, and the song is not quite done, and we're standing there, and I'm looking at her, I'm thinking, hold me tight, Daddy. Hold me tight, Daddy. And that's really cute, cute if you're seven. But when you're 23, it's not so cute, hold me tight, Daddy. 
That's your whole, that's your whole mission as a parent, as a boss, as a teacher, as a pastor. That's your whole thing is to let them go. To let them go. And if you haven't done that, you've failed. And the thing is, here's what I've observed. And the thing is, as you release them, they can't come back enough. Haley must call seven times a day. She called the other day, and she, I said, Haley, you're driving me nuts. What in the world? I'm trying to make chicken. I don't know how to make this chicken. does not look right. Put mom on the phone. I don't know if this chicken, look, this chicken needs help. Okay, put mom on the phone. It, and it's amazing. That's the whole So I don't care. You have to see, this gets a little awkward here. You've got to figure this out. You've got to apply this. But what the world says is success, accumulate, hold, control, is exactly wrong. What we say is success is to let them go. People are going to attain freedom in one of two ways. The path to release. Either freedom by design, which is what we just spent six weeks talking about. Proficiency, ownership, work, encouragement, release. Or, or freedom by default. You're going to push them down, push them down, push them down, push them down. They'll rebel, and out the door they go. Whether it's work, whether it's whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Now, you can apply this in every organization. Sometimes you're going to have to leave to, to, to be released. Sometimes there are not enough spots on the org chart. People are going to get this freedom one way or the other. I'll give you a, a great illustration. I'm a, my junior year of high school, first girl I ever really dated, and, and she was unbelievable. She was, she was really pretty. Um, she had also, she, she was a musician. She was a great student. She was the sweetest, kindest. She was unbelievable. She was perfect right? in, in many ways. Except for one, she had one liability, one, one drawback. You want to guess? Okay. Her dad. Okay. Here was the problem. I'd go to pick her up, and, her, and I'd say, what time would you like her home, sir? And he'd say, well, how about 10 o'clock? And I'd say, but it's 945. Okay? <laughs> this isn't working. Now, some of that could have been based on me. Uh, I'm all right with that. In the Midwest, homecoming's bigger than prom, at least when I was a kid. We're at homecoming dinner. Now, we've had the game. I got a shower. I pick her up. We got to go, and she's got me home by like 11.30. Well, we're at the restaurant. It's 11.10. I said, what are you going to order? And she said, I don't know. And I said, order this. She said, I don't like it. And I said, but I know I'm going to get to eat it, okay, because I got to take you home. I take her home. The next day, I said something to her that I subsequently have heard from many girls but never said to one. I said, this isn't working. Uh, I've never been on the giving end of that except for that moment. And, I, and again, I can't emphasize, think sweet, kind, gentle. At our 25-year high school reunion, I, I wasn't there, and I asked, I said, was she there? And they said, she just got out of drug and alcohol rehab, went to college, got pregnant, blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you something, you could have written that script. I was a junior in high school and could see that problem. Now, is that her fault? Sure, it's her fault, it's her responsibility. But I'm telling you, that dad screwed up that girl. I knew that girl really well. We, we really kind of stayed buddies. She was a wonderful kid that was screwed up by that dad. So you're going to get freedom, either by design or by default. Here's the reoccurring command that we see in Scripture. God says it to Adam. God says it to Noah. 
God says it to the apostles. Be fruitful and multiply. That's your mission. Be fruitful and multiply. We think of it, obviously, biologically, but it works in a whole bunch of different ways. I'm to create functional equivalents who create functional equivalents. In other words, I'm creating people who are doing what they're designed to do. Here's a biblical model of this. It's, it's the son of encouragement. His name is Barnabas. Uh, in Acts chapter 9, Paul is on his way to Damascus to destroy the church there and the Christians that are there. Paul hates the church and everything in the church. Now, this has nothing to do with this part of the lesson, though I do want to drop it in here by way of application. <clears throat> it has to do more with salvation than Paul's mission. Paul's not looking for God on the way to Damascus. He thinks he's already got God. He's not wondering about, am I on the right team? He's convinced he's God's guy. He's convinced he's who he needs to be. And God saves him in the midst of that. It's a wonderful picture of the sovereignty of God and salvation. Well, Paul, who was the chief persecutor of the church, now comes back, and now he wants to operate within the church. Acts chapter 9, verse 26 when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. This is a Trojan horse. He's playing a game. We're not buying this. But Barnabas comes along. Here's what Barnabas did. Barnabas offered Saul discipleship. He comes alongside him to prove that his position in the faith, to prove that he's a follower of Christ. Barnabas comes along, and Barnabas says, you know what? People change. We're not good at that, by the way. It's funny. I've observed that in my life. I know I've changed a lot, but I have a hard time imagining anyone else has. I know I've changed a ton, but when I meet somebody else that I knew from a prior life, I put them right back in that same position. I've seen families do this. You know, you were always lumpy, and you were always the big, dumb, goofy one, you know, and now you go back home, and you're lumpy again. Forget the fact you're 6'4", 212, and chiseled out of stone. You revert to lumpy again, because everybody treats you like lumpy, because you were always lumpy. Well, people change. Barnabas comes along Saul and disciples him. Why? To prove his faith. Barnabas isn't done. In Acts chapter 11, Barnabas comes along Saul and mentors him and says, no, it's bigger than just being in the faith. This guy can be effective in the church. The news reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem. Here's what they heard about Paul and his teaching and what was going on. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the evidence of God's grace. He was glad. He encouraged him. He remained with him. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Paul met with the church and taught a great number of people, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Along comes Barnabas, and he mentors him to show the effectiveness to the church. Look what happens. Paul grows, we end up with an apostle, and the church grows. It's a whole idea of release. Watch this now. Barnabas, in Acts chapter 13, Barnabas offers Saul partnership to prove his effectiveness to the world. The church at Antioch is saying, listen, there's other things to do. So here's what they do. They say, set aside Barnabas and Saul for the work with which they've been called. And off they go into ministry. He's not just in the faith. He's not just in the church. He's now effective throughout the world. Something special has taken place. 
By the way, look what the church there at Antioch did. It sent out two of its best and brightest. What we tend to do as a church is say, all right, here's our layer of leadership, here's our best and brightest, and then we'll send out everything else down in here. It's kind of interesting how we do that. And I understand it. It's natural. Look, look at the fourth thing here. Barnabas offered Saul release to prove his independence. It didn't happen in a very pretty thing. They fought over John Mark. Many of you know the story. If not, you ought to go back to Acts chapter 15 and read it. They go on a missionary journey. Barnabas takes Mark with him. He blows out. Now it's time for the second journey. Uh, Barnabas wants to bring Mark. Paul says no. They fight. They disagree. The fight's not the, argue, not the point here. Here's what I want you to see. As you track through your scripture, and I'm going to get rid of the name Saul just for the sake of this discussion so we understand it's Paul. As I'm working through the book of Acts, it goes like this. It goes Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Paul and Barnabas. There's a shift there that takes place. And this guy who the church didn't even want to hang around becomes arguably, other than Christ, the most important figure in the history of Christianity. This is released. Now, let me tell you something. That doesn't happen easily. I'm going to give you a great example of my life. God saves me. God saves me through the work of Larry Wright. You know Larry Wright. Three years later, Larry says, you ought to teach. I start teaching. I'm reaching a point. I'm still doing real estate stuff. I'm reaching a point where if I get two calls, one from a client, one from somebody I don't know from a study, I'll return the study call first. I'm saying, well, that's not right. That's not fair. That's not fair to my partner. I'm clearly not pulling my end of the bar. It's just not right. So I decided to leave. I'm going to leave. What are you going to do? Don't really know. I'm talking to Larry. I said, I'm leaving. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't really know. He said, I want you to come to work with me. I said, all right. What's that look like? He said, you just, you just do your thing, man. You just teach your studies. You do your thing. And so I do that for three years. And for whatever reason... And, and I, it's unimportant. For whatever reason, I called Larry one day and I said, I want to talk to you. I went out to see him and I had one of the most difficult conversations I've ever had in my life. I sat down and I said to him, Larry, and I can't put my finger on it exactly, but I need to go do my own thing. Now, I don't know how you would respond at that moment. Here's what Larry said. Sit down. Tom, sit down and tell me your dreams. What are your dreams? What do you see? What is it you need to do? What do you want to do? Not for the purpose of talking me out of it, but for the purpose of understanding it. And what only a handful of people even know is that the first check that Priority Living ever received was from Larry and Abundant Life. Now, that's not natural. See, here's what I would be doing. What? You want a what? Do you remember that God used me to lead you to Christ? Do you remember that nobody gave a rip about you and you were absolutely sub-nothing when I met you? And look at what you are. There are some gifts there, but I'm the one that was used. To... That, isn't that how you do that? What do you mean you're leaving to join the competition? I poured my life into you. Yeah, whatever. Okay, good, right? You know what? That's your job, to pour your life into them. And Larry taught me an, an extraordinary lesson in that moment. And that cannot happen. Here's the key. That whole process of release cannot happen until your ego's out of the way. If your ego's in the way, you're never going to release. 
of having these kids and having your picture taken and, and doing the white background with the white shirts and the jeans and doing the whole thing and, and looking like this happy family, arguing like mad to get everybody in the right place, punching each other and then hitting each other again. If, if that picture is what you're all about, that ego, that moment, if that's what's driving that, then you're never going to release these kids. Or if they start to be their own, that's going to really bug you because you want them to be, I don't care, pick it. You want them to be a lawyer. You want them to be a lawyer because we're three generations of lawyers. Well, first of all, you owe the world an apology if you're a third generation of lawyers, okay? <laughs> but aside from that, but three generations of lawyers. I mean, after all, he's, you know, Hamilton, Stanton, Johnson the fifth. Well, I don't care. This is what he wants to do. If you're not letting him be what he wants to be because you have an ego involved, see what I'm saying? I'm all right with it. Hey, I'm human. If, if the kid came in and said, you know what, Dad, I want to do this. And in our economy of thought, it's not a job that's very prestigious. Very hard to go to the club and sit and say, well, you know, he's in waste management now. Oh, he's running. No, well, he's picking it up. Oh, what'd you do wrong? Didn't, you know what he did? He didn't do anything wrong. He raised a heck of a kid who wants to be in waste management. That's all. And if you can't deal with that as a parent, you're never going to release that kid to be the kid. So they're going to find freedom by design. You screwed that up. Now they're going to find freedom by default. Here you go. We've got to go. If you don't release people, four things. Number one, if you don't disciple, you'll produce insecurity. If they're not discipled. They're not prepared. They're insecure. They're still calling you, but they're calling you to say, I'm trying to figure out whether to buy a shirt or not, Dad. Well, son, you're 35. I understand. Hey, as Sarah built her first house, this is our daughter Sarah, when she was 23, and never once called me. The only thing she called me out, she said, I need a loan for this. I said, she said, can you help me? I said, I can help you. I can direct you to the right place, but the loan's origin will not share your last name. I can tell you that. Okay? But I'll, she said, I'm not looking for money from you. Just tell me where I go. I don't know where to get a loan. Build her own house. That's pretty big. Here you go. If you don't mentor them, you'll produce immaturity. So you go into the office and go, today, what kind of idiot would have done that? I'll tell you the kind of idiot. The one you produced. The one you managed. The one you trained. Well, they've been with me 20 years. They have 20 years of experience. No, because you're so tight-fisted, so selfish, so egotistical. They've had one year of experience 20 times. They don't have 20 years of experience. Here you go. If you don't partner, you'll produce indifference. If they don't feel like this is significant, if they don't feel there's something in this, they don't care. If you don't release people, you'll produce insurrection. William Hazlitt wrote this, the love of liberty is the love of others. The love of power is the love of ourselves. Again, that's, that does not flow from the scripture, though the principle surely does. If you really love liberty, you will love others. Here, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Number one obstacle to this, ego. Here we go. Now, a lot of theory. Hopefully there's been some practical stuff in here. Hopefully the illustrations are helpful. But we've talked about power and ownership and work and release. Theoretically, now, how does it flesh itself out in four key structures? Government family, work, and church. Those are the next four weeks. Father, help us see this as we look at this in, 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 
in our lives. Anyway, me and mine, I look at this and see how real and, and true this stuff is. How powerful these principles are. God, I know that I can use this today. Help me be the man that you have called me to be. Help us be the people you've called us to be. People who are empowered by you as your spirit lives in us, who infect and all of the people around us with a love for you, and then allow them to be the people you've called them to be. Father, we pray that to you here this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.